0: Join us now for Health for Life, brought to you by Hamilton Healthcare System. Today we're talking with Dr. Nancy Carnavale of Anna Shaw Children's Institute in Dalton. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Carnavale.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Dr. Carnavale is a board certified developmental behavioral pediatrician and the medical director of Anna Shaw Children's Institute, located at 1201 Burleson Road behind Hamilton Medical Center in Dalton, Georgia. She, Dr. Brandt, and Dr. Anderson specialize in attention disorders, autism spectrum disorders, developmental challenges, and more. Dr. Carnavali graduated from Assumption College in Worcester, Massachusetts, attended medical school at Brown University in Rhode Island, Island and completed her residency in pediatrics at the University of Connecticut. She also completed her fellowship at Brown University and is board certified in neurodevelopmental disabilities. While practicing pediatric medicine and serving as an assistant professor, she found her passion in treating children with complex disorders. Since 1997, she has cared for children with developmental delays as well as providing Guidance to their families. Dr. Carnavalli. Today, we're going to talk about how to solve sleep problems in children. But first, tell us about Anna Shaw Children's Institute.
1: So, Anna Shaw Children's Institute is dedicated to the memory of Anna Sue Shaw. And it's a regional leader for the care of children ages birth to age 11 who experience the challenges of developmental delays. The Institute has a team of physicians, myself and one of the other doctors, another Mm -hmm. developmental pediatrician, child psychologist, physical therapist, occupational therapist, speech feeding therapist, music therapist, and behavior therapist. And therapies for children include all of those, the physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech and feeding therapy, music therapy, psychological service. Include individual counseling, family counseling, and we also have behavioral support services.
0: Now, you and I talked last time that you were here about uh, one of the things we talked about was music therapy, and uh, you were telling me how important that is. Right.
1: Well, a lot of children are very uncomfortable, are very anxious, have learning issues, and music is very calming. Um, it teaches them in using different senses, and it's a really nice adjunct that we have at our center. I
0: got you. Today, we're going to talk a lot about sleep. Correct. We're going to talk a lot about sleep. All this is fantastic for families here in our community. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the importance of sleep in children's lives. We'll be right back on Health for Life.
2: Join us on a journey to better health health for life. Simply put, that is why Hamilton Medical Center is here. From primary care and specialty care practices near you, an accredited chest pain center, a certified joint replacement program, a new children's institute, cancer institute, endoscopy center, and more. Hamilton is here for you and your family. Learn more at hamiltonhealth.com. Hamilton Health Care System, health for life.
0: Welcome back to Health for Life. Today, we're talking with Dr. Carnivali of Anna Shaw Children's Institute. Dr. Carnivali, why is sleep so important to kids?
1: So we know a lot about sleep, and we know that sleep deprivation leads to many difficulties, including difficult behaviors, health problems, uh, irritability, difficulty concentrating. It's been associated with hypertension, obesity, headaches, and depression. So uh, sleep deprivation can have a real impact on our lives. Children who get enough sleep have a healthier immune system. They do better in school. They have better behaviors, better memory, and better mental health. So establishing good practices for sleep when your children are young will not only benefit the parent, but it will also help them for years to come. So we need to make sufficient sleep a priority. It's just as important as nutrition and as physical activity.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Tell us, how much sleep do children need?
1: So the amount of sleep is obviously going to um, vary depending on the child's age. So a typical infant, say from four months to 12 months, generally sleeps about 12 to 16 hours a day. And that includes their napping. Toddlers now at the age of one to two, they're back down a little bit to 11 to 14 hours a day, again, including napping. Preschoolers, three to five, we back off a little bit. Now they're down to 10 to 13 hours a day, usually still including a nap. Then around the age of six and grades schoolers, 6 to 12, require 9 to 12 hours a day. By that time, the child has usually given up their daytime nap. And then teenagers, 13 to 18, they like to think that they don't need a lot of sleep, but they do, and they need 8 to 10 hours of sleep.
0: So 8 to 10 hours of sleep for a teenager? Correct. Up to 18?
1: Right. Right, yeah. uh, about that, you know, and then probably continuing through late adolescence, early adulthood.
0: Yeah, because I tell you, I'm an adult, and I need about eight hours. Right, that's pretty. And I, I know a lot of adults say they need seven hours, mm-hmm. and some need ten correct. I guess. Uh, and I guess it just depends on who you are and what your habits are and right. and how things work. Now, what about kids who can't go to sleep? They have trouble getting to sleep.
1: So the biggest thing is to really establish a good routine. Routine is so important. You want to have regular sleep and wake times on a regular basis. So one of the mistakes a lot of parents or a lot of all of us make is, try, is shifting a schedule for weekdays and weekends. And then it gets harder to get back into a rhythm. So we really should try to keep on the same schedule, including the same wake Up time on weekends and school holidays. The other thing is you want to be active during the day. You want to have a lot of exercise and you want to exercise in the afternoon. That's a good time to exercise. You don't want to exercise at night because sometimes that will keep you up at night. Again, teens need to realize that they need more and not less sleep. We should be avoiding caffeinated beverages at night and you want to not have too many stimulating activities at bedtime. So the typical is, you know, a parent works all day, especially those dads come home, they get home at 7.30, at night and they start tossing their kids around They're roughhousing and what does that do that riles them up and therefore they can't sleep so it's it's hard to say that you don't want them we don't want to stop that interaction but there really should not be a lot of roughhousing right before bed
0: well that's tough because dads do like to do that i remember um, i've had two boys Mm -hmm. and my daughter not so much my my boys they wanted to wrestle and then carry on Mm -hmm. and then it was bedtime
1: right so mom was probably not happy at that point. No, I'm sure that she
0: wasn't. I'm sure she wasn't. What's a good environment? What's a good environment to help a child go to sleep? And I would imagine temperature has a lot to do with that.
1: Yes. So you want to create a sleep-supportive environment, a safe bedroom, dimming the lights, controlling the temperature. Keep your child's bed a place to sleep rather than to play. So there shouldn't be a lot of toys all over the bed. And you definitely don't want to put your baby to bed with
0: a bottle. Yes. No, absolutely not. That's that's uh, important. That's a safety issue. Correct. Very important.
1: And teeth, yes. And and
0: teeth. Tell me about screen time. Uh, Is it good to be able to let a child watch television in bed?
1: So that's a no-no. So so blue lights, as we have from tablets, TVs, smartphones, e-readers, they have a short wavelength, and that affects our levels of what they call melatonin more than any other wavelength does. So the blue light kind of fools the brain into thinking that it's daytime, and it makes us more alert. And then we're lying in bed, we should be sleepy, but instead we're more alert, And over time, this wreaks havoc on our body's natural production of melatonin. The American Academy of Pediatrics recommends avoiding exposure to screens for at least one hour prior to bed. And then using devices past bedtime, especially those violent video games or TV shows, interfere with sleep. It's really best not to have a TV in your child's room.
0: Just not to have a TV at all in the child's room. Correct. Correct. You know, I had never thought of that blue light thing.
1: Right. It's important, right? And most people don't. Now, apparently you can turn it off on an e-reader, but again, we try to really get those screens out of the child's room and away from them for about an hour before bed.
0: What a great idea. Never thought about that. And just keeping a television out of a child's room will help that child sleep. Correct.
1: Correct. Because we all like to fall asleep with the TV and then we wake up and want to turn the TV back on. And that, that, again, has been shown to interfere with sleep.
0: You know, nowadays you buy a TV, it's got a sleep timer on it correct you know you can set the timer so you can go to sleep with the tv
1: but if you're used to falling asleep with the tv on when you wake up in the middle of the night you want that tv back on you know,
0: i agree with that and I've, I'm, I'm not one to sleep with the tv on mm-hmm. but uh, i can remember uh, one of my children they always fought for that right they wanted to sleep with the television on right. so i understand right. we're going to take a short break when we come back we're going to talk about the three b's of bedtime don't go away
2: If you're in need of medical care, don't delay. Your health won't wait. Hamilton Medical Center is ready to care for you. We are following CDC guidelines. Patients and guests are screened for COVID-19 symptoms. Those who are suspected to have the virus are treated in a separate area. Plus, Hamilton's high-powered UV light robots eliminate 99.9% of bacteria and viruses on surfaces. Please do not delay medical care. Your health won't wait. As always, Hamilton is here for you.
0: Welcome back to Health for Life. Today, we're talking with Dr. Carnavali of Anna Shaw Children's Institute. Dr. Carnavali, you say that there are three B's, three B's related to bedtime for kids. What are the three B's for bedtime? So
1: this is a consistent routine that we should have every night, which is brush your teeth. And that's really important. And And the American Dental Association is really on board with getting the kids to brush their teeth before bed. Read a book. And then go to bed. A little bit about reading. You know, reading is so important. And for the young child, it teaches them language, it helps to build their vocabulary, it's a great bonding. Type of thing to do. So that reading is so important. Then, this whole process of the three B's of brushing your teeth, reading the book, and then putting them to bed and then leaving the room should take no more than 30 minutes. Now, watch those older children who we want them to read, but if their book is too exciting, they're going to start to stay awake a little bit longer. So, you have to either limit the amount of time they're reading or help them choose a less exciting book right before they go to sleep.
0: Well, that's going to be tough. You don't want to give them uh, an instruction book to a toaster. You want to make sure that it's something that they're interested in. Correct. But then they get too excited about it, and and they want to hold on to it, and it just you know kinds of build kind of builds that excitement for them.
1: Correct. It's kind of like us. If we start to read a book at night, we sometimes can't sleep because we want to finish the book. So you have to find content that is again fun for them, but not driving that not not too exciting, not a mystery or um, or necessarily a fantasy that's going to keep them awake.
0: I got it. Something also that's age-appropriate.
1: Correct. And then um, another important thing is for uh, to talk about is infants and infants who wake up in the middle of the night. So remember... If a child, if an infant's waking up in the middle of the night to eat, you want to go in there, but you want to stay very calm, very quiet. When you feed him or or change him, you try not to stimulate or wake too much. That's not a time to start playing with your baby. Even if the baby's so cute and maybe a newborn, and we love that newborn, we want to teach that child to stay calm in the middle of the night when it's dark and be able to go back to sleep. So once a baby reaches a certain age, you want to wait a few minutes before responding to his fussing. Uh, See if he'll kind of fall back to sleep on his own. If he continues to cry, you can go in, check on the baby, but don't turn on the light. Don't play with him or her. Don't pick her up. Again, give her a little bit of time. Then if he or she gets frantic, is unable to settle herself, you know, we need to consider else what might be bothering her. Maybe she's hungry. Maybe she's has a, a diaper that needs to be changed. Maybe there's a fever. Maybe she's otherwise not feeling well. So again, during the middle of the night with, with infants, we want to make sure we keep the stimulation to the minimum.
0: Well, any tips on helping that infant go to sleep?
1: So I'm going to give you what's called a pediatric pearl. Pediatric pearl is what I say to a parent and I turn to them and I say, this is a life-changing statement I'm going to make to you. And this is when you do general pediatrics and you're trying to teach about parenting. You want to start putting your baby to bed when the baby is drowsy but still awake. So around six to nine months, we need them to be partially awake when we're putting them in the crib because they need to learn to fall asleep on their own. I got you. And if... Parents do that; they will have far less sleeping problems with their children as they get older. The last thing they should be seeing is their own crib, their own ceiling, and be able to turn and fall asleep on their own.
0: And at what age would you would you recommend that I, you stop rocking a baby to sleep? So
1: I usually, I mean, I, I usually tell parents by six months to start thinking about getting them into their sleep, into their cribs when they're drowsy but awake.
0: At six months?
1: Right. Six to nine months. That's when you're trying to make that transition.
0: Good information. Let's talk about night terrors. What about night terrors? What What is a night terror?
1: So if anybody's ever experienced a child having a night terror, you realize it can be very frightening because you go in there, you hear the child screaming or moving. The child may suddenly sit upright in bed. They shout out. They scream like in distress. You can see that they're breathing fast. Their heartbeat's picking up. They may be sweating, thrashing around. I mean, they're acting like they are truly terrified. They're upset and scared. And the parent may go in and the child doesn't even recognize them. They're in this kind of sleep stage where they're not with. It. this uh, usually lasts for about a few minutes usually the child can't be consoled because they are not even they're not awake they're in this night terror so after a few minutes sometimes a little bit longer the child just calms down and returns to sleep and unlike nightmares which kids remember kids don't have any memory of a night terror the next day because they were such in such a deep sleep when it happened so there's no mental images to recall. Night terrors happen during what they call deep non-rem sleep. It's not really a dream. It's more like a sudden reaction of fear. And it happens in a transition from one sleep stage to another.
0: Now, what causes a night terror?
1: So we don't know exactly what causes them. It's kind of in this transition stage when you're moving from the deepest stage of non-REM sleep to a lighter REM sleep. And usually that transition's a smooth one, but sometimes a child becomes upset and frightened, and that fear reaction is the night terror. So um, causes of night terrors, we do know that night terrors occur more when a child is overtired, when a child's sick, mm-hmm. when a child's stressed. Sometimes a new medicine can do it. So if, you know, if a child starts to have it out of the blue, I would make sure you talk to their pediatrician and maybe that they're taking a new medicine that may have, have affected them. Sometimes sleeping in a new environment, you know, kind of sleeping in a different place, sleeping away from home, when the child in general is not getting enough sleep, they're prone to night terrors. Having too much caffeine will make them prone to night terrors. And they're relatively rare. They only happen in about maybe three to six percent of kids, while nightmares happen on a regular basis. And again, it's really scary. I've had parents bring the child to me pick them up, bring them to me right after a night terror, thinking that they're having a seizure because their child doesn't respond and they're so frantic.
0: Well, is there anything we can do to help?
1: So there's no real treatment for night terrors, but we can first of all, try to prevent them. So you know, again, maybe there's a new stress in the child's life, so you want to do what you can to reduce the child's stress. You want to, again, continue a nice bedtime routine that's simple and relaxing. You want to make sure your child's getting enough rest because we don't want them to be overtired. You don't Want them to stay up too late. You want to make sure that they empty their bladder, and that's for a lot of sleep things, but make sure they empty their bladder before bed because if you have a full bladder, that also wakes you up. And if the nightmares are frequent, you can do an intervention. It's an interesting intervention where you start to be able to predict when these night terrors are going to happen. So often it's 11 p.m. to midnight every single night, and you go in there about 15 to 30 minutes prior to when it would normally happen, and you mm. kind of partially wake them up, move them around. And that changes the level of sleep And that they may, they may actually help prevent them from happening
0: That is a great idea A great idea Now, from Night Terror's to nightmares. What is the difference about between a nightmare and a night terror?
1: So a nightmare is really characterized by kind of those disturbing dreams that we have in the REM sleep, in our rapid eye movement sleep. And they result in the child truly waking up. Now the child is not in this kind of terror. Instead, they actually wake up. And they're scared now because they did have a really bad dream. So they wake up, they're nervous, they can't get back to sleep. And these are very common. We, we see them all the, all the time. It often Peaks in kids six to ten years of age. Again, it could be associated with stress. Could be brought on with by medications. So whenever you see nightmares, double check with your pediatrician to see if, if you started a new medication. Again, that good sleep hygiene is important to try to prevent them. And another one is frightening TV shows or frightening movies. So and, and remember, remember parents that a lot of times we think we're not showing the kids frightening things, but a lot of times the older siblings are leaving on a fright frightening TV show or a frightening video game. So really make sure they're not watching anything that's scary because then they'll wake up in the middle of the night with a nightmare. Things that you can also do to prevent them is, you know, putting on a nightlight because in the dark, everything looks scary. A piece of clothing looks like a monster mm-hmm. to these kids. Mm-hmm. Reassure the children. And again, look for stressors because some, when a child starts having nightmares, there may be something else going on in their life. and Particularly for a school-aged child, you have to always worry about bullying.
0: We're going to take a quick break when we come back. We're going to be talking a little bit about what to do when our children try to delay bedtime. We'll be right back.
2: Join us on a journey to better health. Health for life. Simply put, that is why Hamilton Medical Center is here. From primary care and specialty care practices near you, an accredited chest pain center, a certified joint replacement program, a new Children's Institute, Cancer Institute, Endoscopy Center, and more. Hamilton is here for you and your family. Learn more at HamiltonHealth.com Hamilton Health Care System Health for Life
0: Welcome back to Health for Life We did it when we were kids And now our kids are doing it to us Delaying bedtime What do we need to do To keep kids from delaying bedtime?
1: (laughs) So this is a real common problem. Again, we want to get back to those basics of the three Bs, having that routine, routine, routine. Because the more children know what to expect, the more they will cooperate. So you want to brush, book, bed, having that quiet routine before bedtime. Again, be consistent. Make bedtime the same every night, and this way your child, again, knows what to expect, and it helps them to establish healthy sleep patterns. You can allow them to take one favorite safe thing with them to bed, but not like 20 different toys. Make sure they're comfortable. Everything that you know that they're going to ask for, you want to try to prepare for. So give them a drink of water before bed. Make sure the light is on if that's what they like. You can leave the door open slightly. So you want to try to handle all of those needs before bedtime so that the child doesn't use them to avoid going to sleep. Another important thing is not letting your child sleep in the same bed with you. I know this is a controversial issue, but it does make them harder to learn to fall asleep when they're alone if they are constantly in the same bed and getting used used to being in the same bed as the parent.
0: Establishing bedtime expectations can be hard if we've never done that with our child before. What can we do if our child keeps calling out to us and has trouble falling asleep?
1: So the first thing is don't return to the child's room every time he complains or calls. So instead, we kind of go through the following. You want to wait several seconds before answering. So, You know, you kind of keep delaying it. And then you make your response time, like the time to respond longer and longer each call, each time he calls. So he calls, you go in, reassure, then he calls again, and you wait more time before you go in and reassure. Then he calls again, now you go even longer time. And during each of those time intervals, it gives him a chance to fall back to sleep on his own. When you do go in, you reassure them that you're there, so I'm here. I'm here, if you need to go into the room, don't turn on the light, don't play with them, don't do another tuck-in, don't stay too long. When you go in to reassure them, you want to move further and further from your child's bed every time you go in, until basically you are almost out of the room or in the hallway without entering the room when you need to reassure your child. And each time you do it, you want to remind him that it's time to go to sleep.
0: So when when the child calls out to you the first time, you pause just, to, just a, a few seconds, and then you go check. And the next time, you take even longer before you check. And then the third time, if there is a third time, you take even longer. Correct. And this is the so they may go to sleep before you get there?
1: Correct. You're giving them more and more time, and and you're still reassuring them, too.
0: One of the things I've heard talked about is a children's bedtime pass. What is a bedtime pass.
1: So for children who have a difficult time staying in their bed, sometimes what they call a bedtime pass might be helpful. And what a bedtime pass, and you explain the strategy to the child kind of like this. You and I are going to make a pass and you basically just make a little piece of paper. You can laminate it, but it's just a little piece of paper that you write down bedtime pass on it. You can make it however you want to. And you basically tell the child you will get one pass per night. And after you go to bed, you can use that. Pass for one free trip out of the room for a specific reason. For example, you can. Come out and give it to us if you want one last hug, or if you need to go to the potty, or you need um, a drink. And if you use the pass, you give it to us. So again, this is a piece of paper, whatever you want to use. You can you can make it a coin, whatever you want. But if they use the pass to get out of their bed, they give it to the parents and they go right back to bed. And then you basically tell them after you use this pass, you need to go back to bed and stay there for the rest of the rest of the night. So it's a one-time thing. Now. If perchance you don't need to use that pass and you still have it in the morning, let's trade it. Let's trade it for something special. So we oh, may have...
0: Great s- ideas.
1: So we may have some privileges, a special treat, um, something like that. And um, so it works well for certain kids. It works really well for anxious kids because anxious kids are just worried that they can't get out of bed. So they like that and it just helps to calm them down. Most well, of the time they don't even need it.
0: Well, good. I'm, when As you were talking about that, I was thinking, how could... Could this possibly be a good thing after you're trying to get them in bed and trying to get them to calm down. But that that really makes a lot of sense because if they have it in the morning, there's a reward. Correct. Very, right. very good. Another technique is uh, is bedtime fading. What is bedtime fading?
1: So bedtime fading is trying, it's getting the child to learn to fall asleep again on his own without difficulty. So say a child, for example, you normally put the child to bed at 8 o'clock and the child's up, running around, they can't fall asleep, you know, so that they're they're struggling with going to sleep. Well, you change their bedtime. You say, you know what, they're really tired by 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. So we're going to change your bedtime to 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. By the time they then have their bedtime, they're exhausted. So, they will go into their bed and fall asleep much easier because they're so tired. And now they are learning fall asleep easily, not fighting, my parents not in the room, and they're starting to learn now to fall fall asleep. Now, 10 o'clock at night may be way too late for these kids. So then you start to bring it back gradually. So you do that for a week, two weeks. Then after a week or two, now you go to 9.45. You do that for a week or two. Then you bring it back to another 15 minutes to 9.30. And basically, you keep bringing it back until it matches the time that you think is appropriate for the child
0: bedtime fading
1: bedtime fading correct now, what you have to do in order for this to work is you have to keep the wake time consistent. So you can't put the child to bed at 10 o'clock at night and let them wake up late. They have to have the same wake time in the morning. So if that's normally 6 o'clock, you still have to wake them up at 6. And that, those days may be a little tough, but that's the way to do it to get them to fall asleep easily, stay on the same wake time, and then gradually bring that sleep time back. And you can use some positive reinforcements, too, at the same time. You know, incentives to stay in bed, set a goal, Special privilege. If you stay in your bed without coming out, we get a sticker. So many stickers equals such, you know, a certain privilege.
0: Now, what are your thoughts on melatonin?
1: So, melatonin. First of all, melatonin is not a sleeping pill. It's not. It's a dietary supplement, and it's a natural hormone-like substance that is produced in our in our brain called the pineal gland, mm-hmm. and it's released naturally at night, and it tells the body it's time to sleep. Melatonin, extrinsic melatonin that you can buy in the in the pharmacy, may be helpful short term as a way to help some kids get some rest while they're trying to establish a schedule and routine. It also is used often in children on a more regular basis who really struggle with the whole thing, such as children with autism or ADHD. If melatonin is going to be used, the American Academy of Pediatrics really wants parents and pediatricians to make those decisions together and to use it cautiously and carefully.
0: Thank you so much for coming on to our show today, Dr. Carnivale. Before you leave, if there's anything you can leave our listeners with, if you have one word of advice about children and sleep, what would that be?
1: Um, I think that would be an old Irish proverb that I've heard that says, if a good laugh and a long sleep are the two best cures for anything.
0: Thank you for listening to Health for Life, a presentation of Hamilton Healthcare System.